Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome right now our South Shore campus joining us, our Gulf Coast online, and here at Little Creek to the sixth and final message in our series, This Is Living. Come on, let's just welcome our campuses right now that are joining us. Good to see you guys. We are so excited. You know, we are finishing up our series. Uh, it has been a six-week series teaching through 1 John. I'll say it one more time. John the Apostle wrote 1 John. He wrote actually five books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he also wrote the book of Revelation. I said, if there's ever a person that can teach us what it means to walk with Jesus, it's John. John was so close to Jesus. I mean, he was really part of the, not only 12, but really Peter, James, and John, those, those that were those three. And then really there was, there was really John. John was so close to Jesus. When Jesus was being crucified on the cross, Jesus looked at John and told John about his mom. John, behold your mom. Mother, speaking of Mary, behold your son. Saying, now, John, I want you to take, now I'm going. I want you, I want you to make sure to take care of my mom. I mean, if there's anybody that can teach us how to walk the Christian life, how to live with Jesus. It's John. If you weren't here, week one we talked about the forgiven life. What does it mean as a believer in Jesus to be forgiven? Do we have to carry, watch this, do we have to carry all of our sins from the past and somehow pay for our sins? Or is the blood of Christ powerful enough to wash us and to cleanse us of our sins. Week two, we talked about what does it mean to be clean and righteous before God? Not to be sinless, but to be righteous before God. How God, watch this, how God took our unrighteousness on the cross and placed that upon Jesus and took the righteousness of Christ and put that upon us. It's amazing, isn't it? Powerful. Week three, I talked about the anointed life. First John chapter two, verse 20, John says this, you have an anointing from the Holy One. What is the anointing? The anointing is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you have an anointing on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives in you, but the Holy Spirit also comes upon you and empowers you for works of service, to do whatever God's called you to do. That was the third week. Fourth week, we talked about what does it mean to receive love from God? Listen, Christianity is not based upon first our love for God. It's based upon our receiving God's love for us. And then last week, I heard Pastor Dave DeGarmo did a great job talking about the discerning light. I watched it on video. He was wearing a pink shirt. That's why I wanted to bump it up a little bit this week. Just needed to get a little bit more colorful. How many think that Pastor Dave did a good job? Come on now. Pastor Dave's been on our team for 10 years. He, he is on our executive team, uh, but also he uh, runs our South Shore campus. I just love him. He's a great friend of mine. And, Today, I want to finish up teaching through 1 John. I want to finish up with my sixth talk, talking about the confident life. What does it mean when John talks about us as believers living a confident life? You know, there's a lot of talk about confidence in our culture. Confidence is a very powerful word. Uh, to have confidence often determines whether or not you're able to move forward in life uh, with a spirit of faith, or you get neutralized and paralyzed when little things come across your path. And great people throughout history have written on this concept of confidence. They've spoken about it. I love Helen Keller. Many, of course, have heard of her. Here's what she said. Nothing, nothing can be done without hope and confidence. Isn't that amazing? You, you cannot achieve in life without 
a sense of confidence. Pastor Tom Mullins, who's really become like a, I don't know, a spiritual dad to me. He uh, he's preached at our church, comes and does a staff meeting every year for us. He preached last spring, actually, around this time. And uh, he's a great, we call him Coach Tom. He coached uh, in, uh, football in college for 20 years and started a church at 40, 30 years ago, Christ Fellowship in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. How many of y'all like to be a missionary there? Come on, that would not be just suffering for Jesus. But uh, he's a great, great friend. He wrote a book on confidence, the difference between godly confidence and worldly confidence. And here's what he said in the book. This is so good, because it really tees up our talk today. Here's what he said. Life is full of both darkness and light. Circumstances can lead us into green pastures, and they can lead us through unknown valleys, where shadows are far more prominent than sunlight. In either case, confidence is necessary. Listen to this. Confidence is necessary in order to have the attitude we need to take action. And often, that crucial confidence must be found in something greater than ourselves. He ends by saying, and that is our faith in God. See, there is a difference between confidence in yourself. Now, I'm going to share with you in a moment. There's nothing wrong with having confidence in yourself, but that's second base, not first base. First base is we as believers have confidence in who say it? God. We have confidence in God. Let me share you with the Bible. This is so powerful. Hebrews chapter 10. Here's what the biblical writer says to young Christians. There were some young believers that were thinking about throwing in the towel. They came out of persecution, this first century church. And, and the writer of Hebrews said, this is so amazing. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, do not cast away your what? Well, that was weak. Can we at least say the word with the level of that word? Gosh, all right. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. Thank you. Confidence. Don't cast it away. The indication is, as a believer, you can lose confidence. Don't cast away your confidence. Why? Your confidence, if you'll keep listening, confidence in God, listen, it's a great reward. There's a great reward attached to it. Now, as we went through 1 John, John is teaching these young believers. and He's teaching them how to have confidence first in God. By the way, there's a lot of talk in our culture about confidence and how do you get confidence. So this week, I just thought, I want to know what people in our culture are saying about confidence. I didn't first go to the Bible. We're going to obviously go to that. And so I went to the all-knowing Google. I'm being facetious a little bit, but, and, and so I just, I just, I just type in confidence and, and here's what, it, here's a, this is a cool little article. All right. I'm going to read it. five powerful ways to boost our confidence. Here's the, here, here's what they are. Number one, stay away from negativity and bring on the positivity. That's good. Number two, change your body language and your image, how your posture is important. That's good. I think it's important. Yeah, you, we need to have a good, strong, confident posture. Number three, don't accept failure. Get rid of the negative voices in your head. That's good. Four, be prepared. That's good. It's kind of like a kid taking a test. You know, you're confident based upon your studying up to that point. So preparation, how it breeds confidence. Once you get in the game, once you're in the game, the battle, the action. Number five, this is cool. For tough times, when all else fails, create, create a list of what you're grateful for, and it will breed confidence. I agree with all of those. I think they're all good. However, as Christians, I don't believe they're the starting point. 
I believe they're actually second base. First base for the believer is we are to have our confidence strongly rooted in God. When we have confidence in God, here's the point. My skill set is limited and so is yours. My relationship abilities, your contacts, your IQ, your EQ, your net worth, all of us have limitations. We know that we, listen, have deficiencies. We know that we have inadequacies. So if your confidence is first in your skill set, listen, you're going to come up short. But if your confidence is in God, who is unlimited, who has all power, and he flows through you, how many know God can cause you to do something that you didn't think you could do? He can help you to do it even though you didn't think you could. Why? Because he has all power. So our confidence, this is, and there's a fine line. Gosh, there's a fine line. Our confidence as a Christian is first in who? Say it, God. So John finishes this book as we finish this book. John finishes this book talking about the importance of confidence. Interestingly enough, I, I was thinking about the whole concept of public speaking. Of course, I do that a lot now, right? But I remember when I was in high school, uh, before I was a Christian, I had a couple opportunities to speak, one of which was I, I spoke before my football team once. I spoke in speech class many times. I was a nervous wreck, man. And I was an outgoing, gregarious, you know, extroverted personality. But, but something about public, it just frightens you, right? Just, rah, it just makes you nervous. And I also, by the way, spoke to my student body because I ran for president. And I lost. It was rigged. I'm not bitter. I've gotten over it. I read a Joyce Meyer book. But anyway, so, but I'm just telling you, I, I just, I'm, no, it's actually, see, I, I even said it and I felt hurt still. And I remember getting up there to speak. I was a nervous wreck. Then I became a believer. My personality didn't change. But I tell you what changes when you become a believer. Your confidence gets disconnected from your skill set and it gets connected to God. And then God gives you a confidence in your God-given gifts. Don't, don't forget that. Number one, we start with God. Number two, then we have confidence in our God-given gifts. Paul, I mean, John talks about confidence. He talks about the importance. The last chapter in this whole book, it's about confidence. It's about knowing who you are in Christ. It's about having that assuredness. It's, it's about having that solid foundation on the inside that you can be confident in God. So if your notes, I'm going to ask you to take your notes out. I want to talk to you three ways to walk in confidence as believers, three ways. John begins chapter five. And again, all of our messages are online. You can get all of them online. All the notes, I got all my stuff. You can get our teaching notes, uh, the fill in the blanks. By the way, we put that in your notes so that you can follow along if you'd like. But here's what John says. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who, everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. That means born. We're born of God, all right, as we receive Christ. By this, we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. Verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Listen, if you're born of God, remember when you're born of God, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. When you're born of God, 
you overcome the world. It doesn't mean that you don't go through trials. It doesn't mean you don't go through tribulations at times and you know scenarios that are not favorable. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean, listen, in order to be an overcomer, something has to come to you. The nature, the DNA, week three, week two, the DNA of a believer in Jesus is your nature is you're an overcomer in Christ. Matter of fact, look at your neighbor and say, I'm an overcomer in Jesus. Come on, just do it right now. You, you, need to say, you, you need to believe that, that you're an overcomer in Christ. That's what it is. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith in God. It's our faith in God. Three ways that we can have confidence as believers. John is finishing this last chapter. By the way, I'm going to do, I want you guys to pray for me. This is a little aside that uh, this fall, I'm praying about doing six weeks on the book of James. Two times a year, I like to do a Bible book. One in the spring, one in the fall. The, the book of James is a New Testament book of Proverbs. Very, very powerful. Uh, that's what people call it. So, so I, want you to, I want to encourage you to pray for me that God would help me as I communicate to you guys. Now, having said that, we're finishing up this book, and John lays down three dimensions of confidence. Number one, the first level of confidence we can have in life is we can have confidence of eternal life. I cannot tell you the people that I have conversations with. They're insecure about their salvation. They're not sure. They lack assuredness. They lack certainty. They, they really do. And, and, and yet the Bible's so clear. First John 5, watch this. It's so clear. Uh, here's what John writes. He says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, say this with me out loud, no that you may know that you have eternal life. Remember I taught you guys a couple weeks ago that you can know in your knower? In your heart of hearts, you can know in your knower. You, you don't have to lack confidence. In other words, when you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you can know in your knower. If you die, you're going to heaven. You can know in your knower, in your heart of hearts, that you've been washed by the blood of Christ, that, that, that your sins have been forgiven. And again, it amazes me. It actually saddens me. I had a guy one time, I was his pastor, and, and he came up and said, Pastor, I just don't know about this. I, you know, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure what happens. And I said, are you a Christian? Yes. Have you trusted Christ? Yes. But, but I'm just not sure if I die, if I'm really going to go to heaven. I said, time out. You, don't miss this. Your faith is not based upon your feelings. Your faith is based upon the facts of the written word of God and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. You're a child of God. You know, one of the most famous scriptures that we ever hear, it's been at football games for year, years, is John what? 316, which by the way, John, who wrote first John, he wrote the gospel of John. So he's the one that recorded these words. And watch this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, in Jesus, should not perish, don't miss this, but have what, say it, everlasting life. Now, eternal life or everlasting life, those terms are used interchangeably in scripture, it has both a qualitative dimension and a quantitative dimension. Let's talk about qualitative first. When you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart. Qualitatively, watch this, your life becomes different after you receive Christ than before. Why? Because the Spirit, 
the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart and he deposits eternal life. That is the life of God. So qualitatively, regardless of what's happening on the outside of you, you have a different dimension of life that you now walk in. Why? Because life himself lives on the inside of you. Second of all, eternal life also has a quantitative dimension. What do I mean by that? That means in a linear fashion, all right, you and I are going to live forever with God. Now, in other words, when we die, we don't just go into the ground and just there, there they go. Well, there's our body, but our spirit is alive in the presence of almighty God. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with who say it. Why? Because eternal life. So he lives in the presence of God right now. Paul in heaven, John in the presence. And so can you, so can I, we can live with a, with a, we can live with an assurance on the inside of us. And as a pastor, it hurts my heart to know that people struggle with that. I was thinking about people that invest. We've got a lot of smart people in our church. I mean, some of y'all are so good with money and you look at stocks and all these different things and you invest and you're just great financial money managers. Uh, we know that because a lot of you have gone through Crown Financial and we hear the stories and it's just amazing. It's proper biblical stewardship. And nobody, nobody would, would invest their money in something in a big way that they've not checked out, done some due diligence. I mean, you wouldn't put your money in a bank. I mean, it's not, I mean, you know, look at the balance sheet. Oh, they're losing a bunch of money. Let's, let's, let's put all of our money, our life savings in that bank. It's that, that, would be not, that wouldn't be smart. You can look at a balance sheet of something, but you really don't believe in that thing until you move your net worth into something. In the same way, hear me closely, you can say that you're a Christian and that you trust Christ, but if you moved your life into the hands of someone else. Reminds me of a story about this guy. He was a famous uh, tightrope walker. The guy was just amazing. And he was often hired out by circuses. And, uh, you know, th those guys are amazing. They're performers. They're entertainers. They know what they're doing. I mean, they're just, they, you know, they egg on the crowd. They get everybody going. And people are <laughs> they're just good. If you ever really seen a good one. And so he comes out, you know, he's like magnificent, uh, you know, and, and he's got his, his balancing wall. And so all the people are gathering around and I mean, they're fired up and he's egging them on, you know, how many of y'all believe I can do this? You know, he's got the whole crowd going. And so he walks across and he's got his thing and he's about, and of course, you know, and they get in the middle and then they almost fall and they're like, <gasps> you know, you can hear the gasp of the crowd. And then of course he makes it to the end. Well, then they had some curtains. And at the end, and they had a little makeshift kind of little closet thing up there. And he opened it up and he pulls out a wheelbarrow. And everybody's like, oh. And he goes, he goes, how many of y'all believe that I can walk across this rope pushing a wheelbarrow? And everybody's like, we believe. You're amazing. You are awesome. You know, he's just got them rolling. Sure enough, he grabs the ends and he's like this. He gets in the middle and, and he's always starting to dip and everybody's like, oh, and then he makes it all the way across. And everybody, I mean, they're just going, not the place is coming unglued. We believe you're amazing. He turns to the crowd. He says, how many of you would be willing to come up here and get in this wheelbarrow? And let me push them across. Watch. 
not one volunteer. We can say we believe until we have to put our lives in the hands of somebody else. We can say we're a Christian until we're willing to, watch this, put our life. It's like somebody says, you're a Christian? Oh, yeah, I prayed the prayer, man. <laughs> like, you ever have somebody witnessing to you about heaven and hell? You want to go to heaven? It's amazing. Streets are cold, you know, and it's awesome. It's powerful. You just pray this prayer, and hell's terrible, and it's flames of fire. You've got, you've got to be just, just, just foolish to go, sign me up for hell. But is that really trusting Christ as your savior? Are you willing to get in the wheelbarrow? Are you willing to allow your life to be placed in someone else's hands named Jesus? See, eternal life, John says, you can know that you know that you have eternal life if you've trusted Christ. Number two, the second confidence that we can have is we can have confidence in answered prayer. John's dealing with these last themes as he goes through this book, these last few verses. Here's what he says. I love this. 1 John 5, 14. Now this is the, say it out loud. Confidence. Not as good as the first. <laughs> Try it again. Now this is the what? Confidence. There it is. This is it. You got to say it powerful. This is the confidence. This is the confidence that we can have in him. In who? God. That if we ask anything, that's broad. Anything according to his will, he hears us. Boy, isn't that cool? Anything. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people are, 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 are really into the fact of prayer, but they, I don't think, understand fully what prayer is. Prayer is not just physiologically saying something where your vocal cords and they kind of work together in harmony with your body and you'll go and you'll, and you'll just kind of say something just kind of in the direction of the sky. I mean, it... Prayer involves your physiological cooperation, but prayer is where your spirit, where your heart cries out to God and you connect with God. And, and yet prayer, and by the way, and, and by the way, we're in a political season right now and I love the thought that we do have freedom. How many are grateful that we live in a country where there still is freedom of speech? Y'all grateful that we can... We need, we, we need, as Christians, we, we, need to, we need to be wise how we speak, and yet at the same time, I'm grateful. But I'm going to tell you something. In the presence of God, you have freedom of speech. You can come into God's presence, and you can bring whatever your concerns are. John says you can have confidence. How many people I talk to? You know, Pastor, you know, I just I, I want to pray, but you know, after all, after all, I, 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 I just don't want to bother God. Listen, there's nothing too small in your life or too big in your life that's a bother for God. God can handle it. God can feed people around the world, hungry people, and God can hear your prayer right here. And God will answer your prayer. Look at this scripture, Hebrews. You talk about boldness. This is in the Bible. Let this wash your mind and give you a picture of prayer. This isn't arrogance. See, arrogance is where you're brash, it's where you put others down. This is not an arrogance. This is a, a confidence boldness based upon God's written word. L look what this says. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Is that your picture of prayer? Oh, pastor, you know, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to pray a big prayer. And by the way, there's no prayer that you can pray. L listen, that's too big for God or too small. Pray big prayers. Pray small prayers, pray medium prayers, pray all kinds of prayers, but come boldly.
to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. God wants to answer our prayers. God is for us. God is not against us. This is an invitation for us to ask. Interesting, I, I have four children. I have a daughter who's in college. She's 19. And uh, she was home on spring break. She went back today. And, oh, man, whew, she's such a great, great young lady. And, and so I've got a 16-year-old boy, a 15-year-old boy, and a 6-year-old girl. It's interesting, when I was a, a, a young, uh, actually a young dad, my three oldest ones, when I was traveling and preaching at different places and doing just different conferences, different things, and, and my kids, one of the things that I always do is I would try to get them a little something, you know, like people do, and, and not big stuff, maybe a little t-shirt or maybe a little trinket, just whatever. You know, dad's been away, here's a little thing. So now, interestingly, 10 years later, I'm doing the same thing for my daughter. So she's asking for stuff, you know? And so the other day, as a matter, actually it was a couple months ago, I said, well, honey, dad's going away. What would you like? And she said, dad, I would like a beanie boo. I said, honey, what's a, what's a beanie boo? And, and she goes, well, I, let, let me, let me, let me show you one. And so I said, is, is it just any, here's a beanie boo and look at their eyes, dad. And they're like little animals and, and they've got the, but you got their eyes, their beanie boo eyes. Okay. And, and so, and I said, well, and, and she go, I said, no, how many do you have? She goes, mom bought me five. <laughs> That's a whole nother message. And so we were just, just whatever, you know, just whatever. And so I was like, really? Okay, cool. I said, well, I, so, so listen, so I go and I'm coming back and I land in New Orleans. And I forgot to get her beanie belt. And she talked to me the night before. This was a big deal. I mean, this was major. Okay, I, I mean, I don't want to disappoint. And so, and she asked in faith, and it was according to my will. So I just want you to know that. So you should have seen me, man. I'm just frantically, I'm, I'm, I'm in places trying to buy stuff, you know. And, and you know, these, this real guy, real sharp, professional, you know, he's, oh, he was I think, getting the, like the Wall Street Journal and water and mints, you know. And I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, I'm kind of, uh, do, do y'all have beanie booze? No, it's really important. I gotta have a beanie boo. Ma'am, do you have a beanie? She goes, sir, I said, no, it's really, do you know what a beanie boo is? The guy looks at me again. I'm like, dude, do you know what a beanie I mean, I'm just, I just wanna have conversation. I need a beanie boo. Well, let me tell you something. Annalise's dad found the beanie boo. And look, when we walked, when I, when, I, when, I, when I went home, she was so excited. And she goes, dad, show, and boy, I showed a beanie boo, and she just, oh, it was just amazing. Now, here's the deal. Here's what the Bible says. This is in the Bible. If you and I, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more? It's called another level. How much more does the Heavenly Father want to give good, good gifts to those that trust Him? Well, Pastor, you know, I don't know if God, no, God is for you and not against you. God is with you. God wants to bless you. How many are grateful that we have a God that cares about us and wants to, come on, you grateful? That's God. I have people ask me from time to time, Pastor, how do I know if it's my will versus God's will? And I, let, let, me, let me just tell you this one way that you can, one, one sure way. The word of God, now this is important, the word of God is the will of God. So if you're ever praying anything in the, will of, in the word of God, you, 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 don't have to, you don't have to pray if it be thy will. This is the revealed will of God. Right here, this word. 
So in other words, God, if it's your will, remove this depression, remove this shame from my past. No, no, no. You don't have to pray if it's our will. God says he's the one that lifts our heads. God says he's the one that washes us and cleanses our path. So you can pray in faith. So that's why it's important to get in this word, to get in this book so that we can pray in faith and we can trust God and, and we can go to God. And John says, you can, this is the, say it with me, confidence that you can have in him. That if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And he'll answer your prayer. The third and final thing that we see here is not only can we have confidence in eternal life, not only can we have confidence in our prayers, God hears them and God wants to answer our prayers, but we can have confidence in this. We can have confidence of victory over sin and over Satan. We can have confidence. John says that. We, we don't have to be scared of sin. We don't have to be scared in the sense of that we can't ever be free of it. We can be free in the sense that we do not have to live as slaves to habitual sin. 1 John 5, 18. Look what this says right here. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Paul's right there. Pastor, I'm confused. If you're a Christian, do you sin or do you not sin? Based upon week one, yes, we sin. We wouldn't need cleansing and we wouldn't need an advocate named Jesus if we didn't sin. However, as a believer with the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, you do not have to live enslaved to habitual sin, to an addictive pattern in your life. Christ, by his power, can break that. I'm telling you. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one. Who's that? Satan, our adversary. The wicked one does not touch him. Pastor, what does that mean? Man, that's amazing. I'm a new Christian. I didn't, I, what, is, what is going on here? So, so if I'm a Christian, and who's the wicked one? And what is that? Oh, well, well there's a protagonist. God, for you, pro means for, antagonist, anti, someone in the Bible that's against you. His name's the devil. In other words, the adversary. He's against you. He hates you. The Bible says he, he tries to come and steal, kill, and destroy. But here's the good news. When you know who you are in Christ, when you know who you belong to, you can exercise your faith, and you can command the devil to take, your hand, to take his hands off of your life. You can. You can. I, I'll never forget... I got to tell you this story. I, I, some of you have heard this before. In all honesty, I, I, I cannot remember as a non-Christian being scared of the dark. I can't. I, I, maybe I was. I cannot remember. It wasn't distinct. I didn't like vampires when I was a kid. But, but, but the dark was not. I wasn't freaked out about that at all. I became a Christian in 1987. Uh, right when I turned 19, I was a freshman in college. Some of you have heard this story. I got to tell you, the first year of being a Christian, this, is, this, this, this may push some of you. You're like, what? The first year of being a Christian, I was terrified of the dark. You may not believe this. The Bible teaches this, and I teach scripture on this. Satan is a spiritual being, and demon spirits, they're spiritual beings. And I, I, I believe this. See, listen, if the devil cannot keep you from getting saved, he'll try to keep you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And I got to tell you, I would lay on my bed at night. This would freak you out, all right? I was so terrified. I literally could feel in my chest. I had to sleep with the lights on for a year. I had to put on worship music. And I just, I, I could not sleep. I was terrified. I had so many imposing thoughts in my mind that I was going to die if I went to bed. I mean, this is demonic. 
I mean, the devil's in my room. I just was crazy. So a, a mature brother in the Lord told me, he said, Steve, what you need to do is you need to memorize scripture. You need to get scripture and you need to memorize scripture. And I remember getting scripture. I had these little three by five cards. I still have these three by five cards. And I'd write down, for God's not giving me a spirit of fear. But, and so here's the deal. This was one of the scriptures. Go back to verse 18. These were one of the scriptures that hit me one day. And it just, it was like an, an emboldened faith hit me. It was just like for years. And, and by the way, and so at nighttime when I was scared, I would get up and I would take these scriptures. I'm a Christian, all right? And I would get these scriptures on these three by five cards and I would walk back and forth in my floor. I just walked back and forth. Two o'clock in the morning, crazy. Because I felt if I'd go to sleep, I'd die. The devil would kill me. And I had these scriptures and I would go back and forth. This was one of the scriptures. And the wicked one cannot touch me. Listen to me. You know the Bible says in John chapter 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Listen to me closely. Truth alone doesn't set you free. It's truth that you know that sets you free. Somebody told me one time, Pastor, when I get scared, I just lay the Bible on my heart. That's okay, but you better get it in your heart. And you better get it coming out of your mouth like the sword of the Spirit. Come on, are y'all with me or not? I mean, and I would just speak the word. Everybody say, speak the word. And I just got, and then I just got mad. And I, and I would start saying this, devil, take your hands off my mind. Take your, I belong to God. Jesus purchased my body, my mind at the cross. I command you to take your hands off my body, off my mind. And I'm telling you, it's, it just broke. Pastor, you ever get scared again? Yes, but I know what to do now. Come on. All right, you, you, you can, you, all right almost finished. One more minute. Verse 19. Watch this. People ask me as a pastor all the time. Pastor, what in the world is going on with the world? The world is, memo, the world is acting like the world. That was profound. Pure guess, man, I'm, I'm deep. Okay, here we go. All right, verse 19, watch this, watch this. We know that we're of God, but the whole, what, say it, world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's in the Bible. So when the world freaks out, when people that don't know Christ freak out, that's how people that don't know Christ act. When they're, when they're setting up things that are anti-God, that's, that's, but we're not of the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the, we have a different spirit. We have a DNA from God. We're new creations in Christ. We have the blood of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, warring angels, the blood of Jesus. We are overcomers. That's what God says. We are overcomers. All right, let me give you this last verse, verse 20. Here it is. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. John finishes the book the way he starts the book. He finishes the book with this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He spoke about that in the Gospel of John. He said, Jesus is the truth. He's quoting what he wrote in the Gospel. He's the truth. Now, I'm going to say this respectfully, and I'll close. There's lots of philosophies out there. There's lots of competing ideologies, mindsets. Well, a little bit of this religion, a little bit of that religion. I respect all people, and all people are, 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 are granted the, 
sovereign ability to be able to believe what they want to believe. But listen to me very closely. The Bible does not give us the opportunity to just believe whatever we want to believe about Jesus. The Bible's real clear. There's only one way. Listen to me. Look, at, look here. Every campus, there's only one way to God the Father, and that's through Jesus. It's only one way. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. That's the door. Let's pray.